Hello, I'm Blair Lemke. Welcome to Let God Speak. The coming of Jesus to this earth as the Son of God fulfilled several important functions. Jesus' coming both fulfilled the promises of God and revealed the Father's character to the world. Our Bible study today will reveal this. On our panel today, we have Rosemary Malkovich and Dr. Alan Sonta. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. As always, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today for the opportunity that we have to study your word. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us as we study today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we continue our study series on the book of Hebrews and uh, with a particular focus today on the theme of the promised son, uh, Jesus Christ. And we're going to have a look in the book of Hebrews in the first four verses of Hebrews predominantly uh, today. And so I want to throw the first question to you, Rosemary. Mm. Um, this theme of the promised son is uh, in, involved here in Scripture. It's dealt with in the book of Hebrews, uh, but it's found much earlier in the Bible as well. Um, is, is that, isn't that the case? It is, because right after Adam and Eve sinned, the very first sin, God gave the promise of a redeemer, of a deliverer from sin. And... Unfortunately, Adam and Eve thought that their first child was going to be that mm. redeemer. Mm. And it didn't turn out that way because their first son became the first murderer and killed his brother. He was certainly not a, a deliverer. They had mm. to wait mm. 4,000 years. Well, that's how long the earth waited. And I, I can just redeemer. imagine that um, it would have been quite disappointing to have that expectation that maybe mm. their son could be the deliverer. Uh, and exactly. Then, then to, to see it's uh, so obviously not yes. the case. No. Uh, well, from th from this point onwards, really in history, we see uh, throughout history God's people looking forward to the coming Redeemer in Scripture, and the and this promise often throughout Scripture is reconfirmed. Uh, is, is that not the case, Alan? Yes, actually, um, Abraham was told by God that he was going to have a son, mm. that uh, through whom the world would be blessed. And uh, God also promised David that if his son was faithful, that he would give him a kingdom that mm. would be established forever. Actually, come right over into the New Testament and John the Revelator in mm. chapter 19 and uh, verse 16 sees King of King and Lord of Lords. Mm. So over, the, over history, God has reminded us mm. that that king is coming. Well, it's a, it certainly is an encouraging reminder, isn't it, to receive all the way throughout history. Uh, and by the time we reach the New Testament, we find uh, a, the, the promise of the Redeemer's Son has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and what a beautiful story that is as we read through the Gospels. Mm. Well, I'd like to read now from Scripture. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through to 4, which is going to be what we're studying and spending our time looking through today. So let's read together. We read in God's word, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, 
whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he has made the world. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Uh, A very powerful passage of scripture and so much in this simple verse uh, Mm. that we could talk about and unpack. I want to throw the question to you, Rosemary. Uh, What's the central theme or idea that we see emerging here in this text? Well, okay, for for a start, as in a lot of Paul's writings, who they think wrote this book, um, he has very long sentences. (laughs) And this is actually all one sentence, these first four verses. Very long, but it's full of absolute amazing truth that you have to dig into. Yeah, (laughs) but you have to dig into it and you find all these amazing layers of truth in it. But the main thing that this is talking about is that in the past, God spoke through his prophets and that's in the Old Testament. Mm. But now in the New Testament, he's now speaking through his personal Mm. son. God himself is on earth speaking to us. Wow. Well, I want to throw the question to you, Alan. Why is it so significant that, as Rosemary just pointed, that God is speaking to us through his son? Why is this so significant? Because all the previous revelations have been partial uh, and therefore God wants to bring us now to the perfect revelation mm. and so uh, he brings us to the, uh, the uh, son who is the perfect image and Daniel prophesied when that would happen mm. in Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks he says that uh, this uh, perfect revelation will come mm. and, he, and he told when it would come. Mm. There'd been nothing for 400 years after Nehemiah, Ezra and Malachi. There'd been no open revelation until Jesus came. Yes, I think that's an interesting point that you know, God's revelation in his prophets had been silent for some time. Uh, in in terms of the prophetic voice. And then Jesus emerges on the scene to break this prophetic silence. Uh, But not only was his ministry and his prophetic voice uh, so significant because of breaking the prophetic silence, uh, but it was also superior because it was a revelation of God Uh, specifically in in God himself. And so I want to throw this question to you, Rosemary. Um, What what was so superior about God's revelation through Jesus Christ? Well, one of the things is that Jesus, being God himself, comes to the earth as a human being and walks and talks among humans. He experiences what we experience. He shows us what God is really like. Um, And to me, it's just a beautiful thought that God becomes part of his own creation. Uh, He gave us a true understanding of who God is and what he is really like because it had become distorted. People thought he was vengeful, a horrible being. But as John, the apostle, writes in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Mm. And Jesus revealed that. And, And what better manifestation of God could we receive than God himself here showing us his love and his mercy and his compassion. Wow. Well, I think that's so powerful because uh, the prophetic ministry of Jesus is not just contained in what he said, but also in what he did exactly. and the way that he acted and showed us what God is like. And what he suffered. That's right. For us. Yeah. He didn't come here 
to be just the perfect example and leave us to do the suffering. Mm. He suffered as well. Mm. I love that. Now, I want to look here at a specific idea in Hebrews chapter one, in that passage we just read. Verses two and three develops this idea uh, that Jesus Christ is, um, it, it's, it specifically says that Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, and I want to throw this question to you, Alan. Uh, what does it mean in this verse here that we've just read through that Jesus has the exact imprint of the Father's nature, or um, as the as other translations may render it, he is the exact representation of the Father's substance. What is being communicated in this passage? Particularly that Jesus was the perfect representation of God. Now, a lot of people have different ideas about what God is like, but Jesus, uh, speaking to Philip in John chapter 14, and uh, verse 9 says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is saying, really, I and the Father are the same. Hmm. And in fact, in John 10, verse 30, he does say, I and my Father are one. Hmm. So we're getting in Jesus the perfect representation of the Father. I think that's, that's so powerful because, you know, sometimes we might ask the question, who is God? Uh, and we find an answer in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We see, if we know Jesus, we know the Father. And I think what a, what a beautiful thought and a way to get to know someone. Yeah. Um, I want to look again at this text. And, uh, and it says there in Hebrews um, chapter 1 and looking at verse, uh, the first part of verse 3, uh, well, I'll start at verse 2. It says, um, He's spoken to us in these last days through His Son. He's appointed heir of all things through Him He's made the worlds. And then it says, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. The first part of that verse there says that Jesus Christ is the brightness of His glory. Or as other translations render it, the radiance of the glory of God. And I want to throw this question to you, Rosemary. Um, what does it mean in this, uh, this text here that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God? Um, let's first look at Exodus 24, verses 16 and 17. This is where God is meeting with Moses on the Mount Sinai. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So the children of Israel are down the bottom and they're looking up and it looks like a fire is actually consuming the mountain. But the glory that's talking about the sight of the glory of the Lord and the glory of the Lord rested on the mount when Moses in chapter 33 and 34 asked to see God's glory, mm. God said, I will pronounce all my goodness before you. Mm. So God's glory is actually to do with his goodness, his holiness, his perfect character, God's love. As I've mentioned before, God is love. And this was a visible presence of God among his people mm. in this incredible display of light and brightness and radiance, fire mm. on the mountain. Um, and in the New Testament, 
we find that Jesus is the light. Yes. So Jesus actually is the light of God in a human body. Wow. And he lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life. His character was showing us the character that God revealed to Moses in that wonderful display of glory on the mountain. And here was God in physical form as a, you know, a human being mm. showing us the visible presence of God among humanity, not just on a mountain in, in fire and brightness, but as a human being. Wow, I think that's so beautiful, that picture you've painted, because, you know, we see, and as you pointed out in that text in Exodus, that God's presence is that fire. On the, it was the, just a powerful image of who God is. And we see God leading the Israelites as, through the pillar of fire. We see when Moses meets with Jesus, uh, with God, his face is shining. Mm, radiant. <laughs> radiant with light. And, and this, this is a fitting symbol of God and, and who he is, this light that brightens in this dark world. It's all because of his goodness. Well, that's his, right. His purity. And, you know, I think as well in the New Testament of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he sees, where, you know, he comes and he's shining mm. with the glory of God. Uh, and so I think this, this, this picture here that we read in Hebrews of, of Jesus being the radiance of the glory of God, mm. what a powerful image that is uh, for us to consider. Mm. Um, I want to throw this question now to you, Alan. Uh, why is it, in light of what we've just considered, why is it such good news that Jesus reveals the glory and the power and the, the character of the Father to us? What does this tell us about who the Father is? Well, that's a very important point because many people think that the God of the Old Testament is a awesome, fierce God. Uh, they think that he seems to want to destroy sinners. Hmm. He gives the commandments. He, his wrath is something to be feared. And so uh, they think that the God of the Old Testament is quite different from the Christ of the New Testament, who loves us and gave himself for us. But if we stop and think about it, that's totally false because we read in John 3.16, and I won't, won't turn to it because we all know that, it says, God so loved the world. This is God the Father, the God of the Old Testament, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus, who, that if we believe in him, we should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves us and sacrificed everything for us. God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, are one. Mm, wow. They both love us as much as we can, more than we can imagine. <laughs> yes. That's beautiful. I want to look uh, at this, another phrase here in Hebrews chapter, chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, and it says here in Scripture, it says that, speaking of Jesus, through whom he, he made the worlds. Uh, this idea that um, God created uh, by or through Jesus the world. Uh, and I want to read here in, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, a text. Uh, it says here in Nehemiah 9, verse 6, You alone are the Lord. You made heaven. You, the heaven of the heavens with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and, and preserve all, uh, them all. The host of heaven worships you. Uh, Rosemary, I want to throw this question to you. Uh, 
the Old Testament pictures the Creator God. Uh, it says that God created the world. God alone. There's only one person that created the world. It's God, um, and He's the only God. So how do we reconcile this with this idea that we've just seen in Hebrews that God created the world through Jesus? Well, one of the things is too we've got to remember what we were talking about before that Jesus is the express image or the exact <clears throat> image, the exact likeness, the exact same sort of person as God the Father. And they are in perfect agreement with each other. Um, everything they do, they have the same purpose, they have the same ad, um, motives, they, they are both love. Mm. And there is what is called the Godhead. Mm. And this is part of that mystery. We do not understand it completely because we haven't had a conversation with God to find out the scriptures tell us enough, mm. but it doesn't tell us everything. God keeps some things secret to mm. himself. But there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. They all actually are mentioned in the Bible mm. as being part of the creative process mm. of this world, of the universe, of everything that exists, of us, every human person. Mm. Um, they have all been part of that. They're, they're this Godhead, three distinct personalities, all working together in perfect unity mm. for a perfect common goal. Wow. And through perfect love. And so God is the only one creator. This Godhead is one creator. We, we can't explain necessarily. Mm. Exactly, yeah, all the ins and outs. No, I think that's a fantastic point. It draws my attention to that passage of Scripture in Isaiah where God says, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than yours. You know, some things are beyond a finite understanding to, mm. to understand. And God says that there are the, there are the secret things. He has revealed yes. to us the things that we can understand. There are things that we cannot understand mm. and he has kept them secret. But, but what's clear in this text is that God is creator and God, the Father and God, the Son, their purposes are fully aligned. Mm. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is in there too. Correct, 100%. Uh, Alan, I want to throw a question to you in light of this. God's created the world, but he's not just created the world. He also sustains and upholds the world. Uh, and uh, what's, the, what's the practical benefit of this biblical truth? Well, everything, because... Not only did uh, the Son act as the creator, but he, as it says in Hebrews there, he's the sustainer. Now that word sustain is an interesting word because in the, in, the, uh, in the Greek language, the word for sustain is the same word that is used in the book of Acts when, it's, when we're given a description of a ship being mm. driven by the storm. And that word driven is, is the same word in, in mm. the Greek. In other words, the sustaining has to do with a power, mm. powering, powering the, the, in the ship in this case. But um, in our lives, it's Christ that provides the power all the time. I sometimes think a good illustration is uh, take a battery powered uh, toy or piece of equipment. While the battery's there, the thing is alive. Mm -hmm. Take the battery away, there's no life. Hmm. Hmm. While Christ is in, in control, he, he sustains us. He gives us the power to yes. do everything we do. If he's not there, we can't do anything. That's what Jesus said. Without me, you can do nothing. Wow, what a, what a great um, 
encouragement for us to stay connected. Illustration. <laughs> and then at the same time, God sustains even those who don't acknowledge his uh, authority in their lives. But uh, by his grace, he gives life to all. Mm. Uh, I want to look at another theme here in Hebrews, the same passage we've been reading, verse one and two. It says, God, who at very times and in various ways spoke to us in the past through the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And uh, it's interesting that this verse here reveals that Paul, the author of Hebrews, believed he was living in the last days. Uh, And I want to throw this question to you, Alan. Uh, In what sense are we living or were first century Christians living uh, in the last days? Well, to them, it was the last days because uh, they knew nothing ahead. And so when, when the Bible talks about the last days, they thought of their own time and they thought, well, this is the last days. And uh, they had read how that God says that all Israel would be, attra- uh, all, all the Gentiles, all nations would be attracted to Israel in the last days, Isaiah chapter two and verses two and three. And so they thought that because Jesus had come mm. and therefore he was going to draw all nations, that this was the last days. So they looked at their own situation. They saw the fulfillment of the prophecy and they thought this is the last days. Well, it's, it's interesting because what you've, you've touched on some very interesting ideas there, because the, the last days sounds like a phrase that should be associated with the very end of time of our time on Earth. Mm. And, and so I wonder and I want to throw this to you, Rosemary. How can we avoid confusion uh, when, we're study- when we're studying what the Bible says about the end times with these sorts of words and phrases. Okay. Scripture employs two expressions. There's, um, this is about the future. There's the last days or latter days, and there is the time of the end. They're two completely th- different things. The prophets use the expression last days, latter days, and that meant sometime in the future from their day. It was beyond their time. Um, examples, Deuteronomy 4.30 and 31 and Jeremiah 23.20 bring those out. Um, The prophet Daniel used the second term, time of the end. Mm. Now, the time of the end is specifically the time at the very end of Earth's history. Mm. Um, And that's when some of his visions were seen too. Now, let me just put it this way. I'll read this out. The last days began when Jesus came Mm. and they continue to the end of this earth. We are in the time of the end right now, those of us who are alive, and it's just prior to the second coming of Jesus. Wow. So they're two different That's helpful to to know that and helpful to see as we approach Scripture and what it says about the end times. Mm. Uh, Now, the other thing to keep in mind with this idea is that uh, it's, you know, when God's talking and thinking, of, when we think about God's promises and what he was fulfilling through Jesus uh, in connection to the last days, uh, many of God's promises met a, a complete fulfillment when Christ came. Uh, and some of them did not meet a, have a complete fulfillment. They were a partial fulfillment that would ultimately be f- fulfilled in the end, as you've pointed out. Started at, you know, Jesus is coming, but ultimately it goes through to the end. Uh, and so I, wanna, I wonder, Alan, whether you can share with us an example of this. Uh, where, where do we find examples of this sort of idea or this theme in Scripture? Well, one place we find it is in the book of First Thessalonians, 
chapter 4 and verses 15 and 16. I'll read it. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice that Paul says, we who are alive and remain. Mm. So Paul still uh, makes the time frame uh, one that, uh, that has that immediacy. Mm-hmm. We are among those who are still alive. But Jesus hasn't come yet, and so we can still read that and say, we who are alive and remain. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Right. There's, yeah, very There's also um, another way that we can look at this. If we look at Isaiah 65, verse 7, and it says, Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says the Lord, who have burned incense on the mountains. Um, oh, verse 17. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong one. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, for the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Now, God has promised to create a new, new earth, and new heavens, but they have not been fulfilled yet because Jesus has not come. Mm. But what is being fulfilled now is that God is creating new people. Yes. God is giving us new hearts. We are experiencing, we, we have in Second Corinthians 5.17, it talks, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3 and 7, you must be born again. We need to have a new heart and a new mind renewed by the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ. Mm. That is a new creation now. The new earth and the new heaven will come when Jesus returns. Wow. Yeah, this idea of partial fulfillment mm. and ultimate fulfillment. And we, we see it also in the book of Daniel. We do. In chapter t- uh, Daniel chapter 2 and verses 44, we read, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. When Jesus came the first time, he brought in the kingdom of grace. We sometimes call it the kingdom of grace. But when he returns the second time, he will establish the kingdom of glory. Wow. And that's what Daniel's talking about. Although Daniel's prophecy hints at the kingdom of grace as well. Yes. Well, you know, I think looking at these promises that are fulfilled in the past can give us confidence that God will fulfill the promises in the future. Uh, And I think, you know, it it gives us trust and and confidence in in his word. And And he tells us also, Jesus tells us in John 14, that he tells us ahead of time so that when it happens, we can know that God knew this and he is truthful. Numbers uh, 23 verse 19, as a verse I really love, God says, that uh, or it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not do it, uh, um, make it good? Mm. God can be believed. God will do what he says he'll do. What a beautiful... And, and the word of God is faith building. Yes. It's faith building. We're, these stories here build our faith that what he has said in the past has happened, what he has promised in the future will happen. What a beautiful way to finish our lesson. Thank you for studying with us. Jesus, through his actions and words, showed us what the Father really is like and why we can trust and obey him. As the promised son of David, Abraham and Adam, he delivered us from the power of Satan and established his kingdom on earth. Won't you trust him as your ruler today? 
We're glad that you joined us today on Let God Speak. If you'd like to watch this program again or any of our past programs, you can go to our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Thank you for joining us today. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.